blessed Friday morning to all of you. We're excited about continuing our study on the book of Philemon this morning. Uh, Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your amazing love in our lives, and we thank you for the gift of your word. We ask this morning that you would help us break this bread of life afresh. May it nourish us afresh, Lord, so that we can feed on it and then in turn feed others. And we pray this in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Before we do anything else with Philemon, I'd like us to read it out loud one more time. We did not do that the past couple of days, though we did go through it uh, two or three or four times. But we have not read it out loud in a couple of days. So I'm going to read the book of Philemon out loud using the New Revised Standard Version. Normally I would invite you not to read along, but you're welcome to do so today if you're really in the mood to do that. Because I know you've already heard us read it out loud at least a couple times previously. I'd like you to imagine that you're actually in the congregation in Philemon's house as this letter is being read. I mean, it's very difficult for us to take our minds back to that time, but as much as we can, let's try to do that. So we know that if you're there, that you have some relationship with that congregation, you at least know who Philemon is, and you probably know who Onesimus is. You probably have, you probably have heard about Onesimus, even if you never met him, okay? And of course, you probably have heard who Paul is, or have even met Paul or heard him preach in the past. So uh, try to cast your, our, let's try to cast ourselves as much as we can back to that original context. And someone, we don't know who, but someone is probably reading this letter out loud in the congregation this morning. So you may be a, quote, ordinary person. You may be someone like Onesimus who is under some kind of servitude to someone. Uh, you may be someone who is over someone who is in servitude to you. Uh, So we don't know what your particular context would have been if you had actually been there that day. Or you may have not had any uh, owner-slave type relationship, but you were aware of that part of the culture at that time. Okay. And so as we think through all of that, uh, let's try to just, how did they hear this? How did they hear this? That's what we want to try to. Sometimes people ask, well, can't the Holy Spirit just tell us what the Bible is supposed to mean for us today? without bothering about finding out what it meant to them back then? Well, yeah, the Holy Spirit can do that, but God is an incarnational God. God chooses and chose to have the Bible written through particular human beings in a particular historical context. That was God's choice, not ours. Therefore, we honor God when we try to understand what was going on in that particular context. It's not that we're trying not to understand. In fact, we're trying to understand. Since God chose to make the word as incarnational, in a sense, as he made Jesus incarnational, then we want to try to, in a sense, incarnate ourselves into that original context to understand as best we can what the original author was trying to communicate to the original audience, and only then can we more appropriately and accurately try to determine, okay, then what's the message for me today? Okay, so it's because of God's incarnational nature that we do this. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus, God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. 
I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One thing more, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, let me start that phrase over, for I am hoping through your prayers, to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Praise God for God's word. So what do you think the church heard? The person sitting there who wasn't Philemon nor Onesimus, nor Paul. What did the other folks in the congregation, what are some things they may have heard that day that might have impacted them, that might have stood out to them? What was the message for them? Kathy? You know, maybe that the people who were other slaves in the household, that they were considered beloved brothers Okay. Just like um, Philemon. Okay, a message that could have been heard was, well, if Onesimus is to be considered a beloved brother in Christ, then I am too, or, or, or any other person in Christ. Okay, Good. Matthew? Uh, well, you really can't judge anybody based on something they've done um, okay. because you don't know what they could turn into or what their life could change into being. Okay, great. So one of the messages they would have heard is, hey, everybody's got a pastor. I'm rephrasing it naturally. Preachers always take the right to do that. <laughs> Even if they don't have the right, they take it. <laughs> but, you know, no matter our past, don't judge me by that. You know, you know, discern me based on now. Discern who I am now, not who I used to be. Okay? 
Good. Anybody else? What What did they hear? Yeah, I was thinking that, uh, you know, this whole situation with Onesimus leaving and, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking of the concept of gossip in the church, you know, and how, and who knows what sort of stir this uh-huh. whole thing created, yeah. you know, uh, and and then, so here here's Onesimus, most likely, so Onesimus, we assume, took the letter with him, and is standing there in the presence of Philemon in the church, as it's being read. That's what we think. We don't right. We, we think that right. That, but that is what. But we most think. likely, that's what happened. Paul probably didn't send the letter ahead and then send Onesimus. Most right. likely, Onesimus went with the letter, and so he's standing there in, in the midst of all of them, with all the drama and all all the crazy. And who knows what's been said about him and what people think of him. <laughs> and so the church would, in my thinking of my, if I was the church, I'm hearing Paul saying that. We got to be unified here, you know. We we can't we can't be teaming up and gossiping about our brother in Christ and thinking, you know, judging him. And we have to come together as a church in supporting one another. Uh, so I said a lot, and I don't know what I said, but that's what I said. Well, thank you, John. What, <clears throat> again, I'll rephrase. Basically, what you said was Paul's message to Philemon is for me too. <laughs> What Paul's asking Philemon to do, he's also asking me to do. And for the church today and to get along yeah. with whoever well, comes. We, we haven't gotten there yet, but that's where we're headed. That's right. That's exactly right. And for the church today. That would be one of our applications for today. Okay. Thank you, John. Yeah. So it's for everybody because it's being read, and it was specifically addressed to the church that meets at your house. Okay. Anything else? Kathy? Um, I mean, since it was, it, was pro- it was pretty public, it was probably really good for the rest of the church to see how two leaders would really work out something. Good point. In a way that was really good point. In a public way. So. One of the things the, the general congregation is viewing, <coughs> witnessing, is how are Paul and Philemon going to, how, how's this going to work out? How's, how, you know, they see now how Paul responds, how Paul initiates, and how he how he phrases everything to Philemon. You know, I could command you, but I'd really rather you do it out of love, etc. And he compliments Philemon a lot at the beginning. You know, I thank God every time I pray for you, and I've heard about your love for all the saints, and they might have been, they might have been doing positive gossip then. Yeah, he really does love us. Philemon really does love us, you know. And so all this positive stuff is generated. So, but then I could order you to do this, but I'd really rather you do it on love. Uh, so they've seen Paul's way of beginning it. Now, how's Philemon going to respond? <laughs> really good point. So even when we don't remember, folks are looking at what we do as leaders. They really are. Okay, Taylor? Well, it seems like if Paul brought that up, it seemed like Philemon probably had a little problem with taking orders or something like that in the past. That could be a possibility. It could simply be that receiving a runaway slave back was not a normal thing. And forgiving a runaway slave and just start not only starting with a clean slate, but even elevating the runaway slave to something more than a slave. It could also be that. So it could or it could be a combination. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so as we move into application, we've already touched on several things that could be applied, but as we move into application, 
One of the ways we uh, can be helped in our application is to try to discern what are some biblical principles that just sort of emerge out of a passage or out of a book. So what's a, what's a general principle that's Bible-based that we see in Philemon that can most likely be applied in almost all places in all times to all people? Betty. Authority, spiritual authority. Okay, so how would you state the principle? Well, as I was listening to the letter and pretending I was a member of the church, I felt the authority from Paul. Okay. And the only way they're going to prosper and do well and be blessed is to work under the spiritual authority that God has established. Okay, so a biblical principle we see here is the importance of understanding and honoring our role as it relates to spiritual authority whether we are those with some authority or those under authority. And all humans are under some spiritual, some spiritual authority, even those who have authority over others. Have, they are subject to someone else, unless they're the real top Christian in the entire world, and then they're only subject to God. And I'm not going, I don't know of anybody that's going to claim to be that. <laughs> so how do, we, how do we deal with this whole issue of spiritual authority? Okay, that's a biblical principle that emerges. What's another one, Matt? Uh, well, I see the um, idea of having the choice to choose the blessing or to choose the curse, to choose God's way or not. Um, Philemon, like you said, has the choice here, uh, whether he's going to restore Onesimus and treat him as a beloved brother, or he has a choice like, you know, he is a, a runaway slave, so he could, you know, ask for the wages back, be mad, you know, put him in prison and stuff like that. And so I, I see the idea of choice, you know, you choose okay. God's way, you choose the world's way. Okay. How would you state that as a principle? Uh, Microphone. Um, or anybody else. How do we state as a principle instead of just saying choice? Yeah, maybe obedience okay. would be a good word. Yeah. Okay. God gives us a choice whether or not to obey. Okay. And we think of an amazing passage in Deuteronomy. Choose you this day whether you will live or die. <laughs> You know, basically, at the end of Deuteronomy, that uh, Moses said to the people, you're going to choose death or life. I don't have it, can't get the quote right in my head. But Okay, what's another biblical principle, Kathy? Um, it reminds me, I don't remember where it is, but that another one of Paul's epistles where he says, we regard no one by the flesh okay. once they're in Christ. So now he's in Christ, that's how you view even someone who is below you authority-wise before, now he's a beloved brother. Okay, so a biblical principle here is that we do not view Christians based on who they used to be. Right. We view them based on who they are in Christ. Okay? Is that fair enough, fair enough way to state it? Okay? And that's a really huge one. I mean, that's one of the main ones in the book, both for Philemon and for Paul. Remember Onesimus and what, what happened to him. What's a biblical principle that we can discern from this? Frankie. Once I was lost, and now I'm back in okay. the fold. <laughs> Once I was lost, now I'm back in the fold. I'll, I'll phrase it this way, and you could phrase it a million ways, and we could come up with some really good sermon titles. But uh, God is alive and God is good, so there is always hope. That's one way to phrase it. Or you could just say, as long as Jesus is alive, you're never without hope. You know, you could phrase it a lot of ways, but it has to do with hope. Our situation is never beyond the reach of God. Never beyond the reach of God. Our situation is never beyond the reach of God. 
I think that clearly emerges from this. John? Yeah, I see here the fact that conflict in the church is is normal. Uh, okay. You know, conflict in the church is normal. Uh, so if conflict is to be expected and anticipated, then it's how you handle conflict that really makes the difference. Yes. And um, so uh, what I see Paul doing here, and I don't know how to put this into a principle. Y'all can help me. But I see him taking a situation that could potentially wreak havoc in that church and and trying to deal with it in such a way that a positive outcome comes out of the conflict. And so it's it's uh, working through the conflict to uh, to better the situation in the end, which can happen. I mean, it's possible to face conflict and deal with if it's you know if if the hearts are right and and, and people all, everybody's on board with okay we have a situation and we have got to deal with it if we brush it under the rug or if Onesimus is we're just going to keep Onesimus I'm just going to keep Onesimus here so that we don't have to deal with it no Paul faces it sends it back says we got to deal with with this situation let's try to deal with it in such a way that it's actually going to better be better yeah. for everybody yeah. in the end. Uh, one way to state it would be that conflict, when appropriately dealt with, can bear positive fruit. That's one way you could state yeah. it. Amen. Good. Good. Thank you, John. I have another one. Okay. Um, it's the, the spiritual concept of sacrifice Okay. that Paul says, for love's sake... Um, I'm sending him back to you, but I'd really rather have him myself. So he he sacrifices for him, what he what would benefit him for the benefit of the church. Yes, and for the benefit of Onesimus. Yeah. Possibly, we yeah. assume that Onesimus, so, though he might have loved being with Paul, he was still in a prison setting. A good leader doesn't just gather for himself everything that makes his life good. He sacrifices for the well-being of those he is mentoring and. Leading. And that's your state. That's your principle right there. You just stated the principle. Okay. So we have some really good principles here. Now, what do you do with these principles once you discern them? Well, you, you pick one or two or three, or if you wanted to, and if you wanted to take time to do it, you could do it with all of them. But you take them one at a time. So you start with one that you think is the most important, and you ask yourself four questions. Of course, you don't have to do this, but this is one way to do it to help give you like we talked about the other day, give you pegs to hang things on. So let's, for example, let's take the principle of, uh, how did we phrase it, that we're supposed to treat everyone in Christ based on who they are in Christ, not who they used to be, okay? Or not how the world views them, etc. So uh, the first question is, so concerning this principle, I should view everyone who is in Christ based on who they are in Christ, not who they used to be or how the world views them. What am I to believe, therefore, related to this principle? And is there anything I should change in my beliefs? So that's one of the questions you want to ask yourselves. Well, I'm to believe that it really doesn't matter what your past used to be. And it really doesn't matter how the world wants to label you. What really does matter is who you are in Christ. That's what I'm to believe. So what do I need to change about my beliefs? Well, maybe I should stop judging all Yankees as being bad people, even if they're Christians. For example, if I'm a Southerner that judges all Yankees as bad, you know, which is kind of how we were reared, <laughs> or maybe I should stop judging all people with other skin colors. 
as even if they're Christians, as somehow less than or different than me, when in Christ they're not, we're all the same in Christ, are different cultures or different languages. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could do this, okay? I mean, what you want to do is you want to get honest with yourself. Denomination. Yeah, and you want to get honest with God. You want to get honest with yourself and get honest with God, and I'll get to that again later. So what, what do I need to believe? Okay, so how does it impact belief? But sometimes, without even knowing it, even if we sort of believe correctly, we don't have, we don't have good attitudes. <laughs> so how are our attitudes, are there attitudes or actions that need to change? Are there attitudes or actions that need to change? Okay. So that's one of the things you want to process. Okay. What attitudes do I have? What actions, and really reflect hard, are there some actions that I practice and don't almost don't realize it, that really go against the grain of this principle, which is to treat all people in Christ as people in Christ and nothing else. Okay? And then a third question is, and we did some of this yesterday, how does this truth encourage me or challenge me? How does this truth encourage me or challenge me? And obviously this one challenges us to treat people in Christ as they are in Christ and not in any other way. And it encourages us to know that when we are in Christ, at least by God, we are looked on based on who we are in Christ and not who we used to be in sin. Hallelujah. Okay. And then a fourth question. And I love this one. What do I see about the character of God in this principle? What do I see about the character of God in this principle? Okay, that's a good one. I really like this one. Okay. And uh, how does this speak to me? Well, I, what we see about God's character is he loves everybody the same. He loves everybody fully, no matter their past, no matter their sin. How this speaks to me on one level is, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> You know, he looked beyond my sin and saw my need, as the old song says. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus. But it also speaks to me to say, well, if I'm supposed to, as a Christian, reflect God's character, then I need to look at people the same way. And I'm not sure I always do that. I sometimes fall into the rut of the old prejudices that I either grew up with or have been taught through the years. So, okay. So what does it reveal about the character of God? And as you reflect on these questions, eventually you want to get to the place of taking specific steps and praying through, what are some specific steps I need to take, Lord? Now, let me be very, very clear here. You cannot say, Lord, help me love better. That's not a specific step. Lord, help me love all Christians better than I have been. No. You want to pray and ask God, Lord, who in my life have I not been loving fully? Who in my life have I not been loving fully? Either because they are different from me, even though they're in Christ, because they are different from me, they speak a different language or come from a different culture or come from a different part of the country or have a different skin color or have a different, come from a different, whatever reason. Who in Christ am I not loving fully? And Lord, how can I go about Loving them more fully, what are some specific steps you can show me 
Like, do I need to make a phone call? Do I need to go take them to lunch? Do I need to just learn more about them? So how can I take steps for me to love them more fully? And Lord, are there any steps I need to take to ask their forgiveness for the ways I've been treating them? Even if they didn't know I've been treating them this way. Because this has to do with not only their life, this has to do with my spiritual life. If I've got that that unforgiven sin <laughs> hanging around that I haven't even asked the person, rec- haven't acknowledged it to the person and asked them to forgive me. Okay, so specific steps. So what about some specific steps related to the biblical principle, uh, for example, of spiritual authority? What's a specific step as we pray through? Well, first of all, Lord, help me identify under whose spiritual authority am I? Not all Christians know this. Not all Christians, they don't even, it's not even part of their consciousness. They don't even think this way. Well, I guess I'm under the spiritual authority of my preacher. Well, they may not really be, uh, you know, or they may be. Who knows? It depends on their perspective on spiritual authority and the preacher's perspective on spiritual authority. It may be that their spiritual authority really should be a small group leader or a mentor who's been mentoring them for years, but. They never really identify, well, this person not only is my mentor, but also my spiritual authority. So, Frankie? And sometimes it goes back to education. Maybe you've never heard about being under spiritual yes, authority. Yes, that's right. Maybe you've never heard of it. That's correct. So some specific steps to take in this realm would be, Lord, first help me understand spiritual authority, and how do I do that? Who do I go talk to about that? What passages in the Bible do I need to study about that? And then, Lord, help me know who my spiritual authority either is or should be and help me submit. But also, we would want to pray, Lord, am I supposed to be in spiritual authority over someone else? In a loving, collegial, yet authoritative way, the way Paul was with Philemon. He obviously had the authority. I could command you to do this, but he also wanted to be collegial and loving as much as possible. So, Lord, is there someone I'm supposed to be doing this with and I've been too lazy to bother? Because having spiritual authority over someone isn't easy. It's hard work because you're responsible for them to a point. So what are some specific steps? This whole thing about specific steps is what makes it work. It does not work to say, Lord, help me understand spiritual authority better. Amen. No, that doesn't work. Rick? The problem, the problem is that uh, a worker for Christ, uh, it's always thinking about what's good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to get involved in this mess. You know, uh, I mean, I hear this in the office, okay? Uh, do I have to do this? <laughs> and when I hear that, I hear that I have to do uh, the hard work. It's your, you're supposed to do it yourself. <laughs> so, and so, and so things begin to move in a certain dimension, and the person that needs the help is rejected by us because we we don't want to rough the feathers. Mm-hmm. When in fact, you know, it, it gives me the the I don't know how do I say it, but it gives me the the chills. You know, I missed it. I mean, I, I'm really not doing well how to deal with this problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm not being effective. So it really downs me when I see that attitude toward a sector problem 
that the leader of that sector don't want to do nothing about it. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, they they want the authority without taking responsibility, right. and they go hand in hand. Authority and responsibility go hand in hand. For instance, we have a worker in Brazil called uh, Sérgio, and Sérgio, uh, he will never hear him take authority. He's just very, very, uh, very laid back. So laid back that you don't see. You have to tell him you're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And you take care of it. And it's sort of hard to do that, you know. Yeah, it's difficult. Yes. And sometimes spiritual authority is hard for folks just because of their personalities. You know, it's yeah. just not easy. So they have to grow into that. And if they were dealing with this particular principle, they would really need to pray through specific, specific steps to take. So, yeah. So uh, these are just some tools for how we can apply. In addition to the way we did some application in previous days when we were going through the who's of Onesimus and, and Paul and Philemon when we were just asking speci very specific things about them. That What does the text say about Paul here and how can I identify with this? How does this encourage me? What can I learn from Paul, etc.? Okay, so I wanted to, in addition to going through Philemon this week, I also wanted to give you some tools that you can use for other books or other passages. Got one or two minutes? Is that about yeah, right? One or two minutes? Okay. Any closing thoughts from anybody about the book of Philemon? Now, this is a rich book, Kathy. You could preach you could preach for two months out of this book, but most of us almost ignore it. Um, I'm not quite sure how to put it into words, but it almost seems like this book has a theme of how to receive a prodigal son back. Mm -hmm. It does. It really does. Uh, in the last minute that I have here, real quickly, one of the fun things to do when, you, when you've kind of studied a book, as we've done, is other than Philemon, how would I title this book? Other than the title Philemon, how would I title this book? And that kind of helps us try to capture, you know, sort of the essence of it for us. And we could all come up with different titles. Uh, if you think of it from Onesimus' perspective, Never Without Hope. Uh, or you could just title it, Receive Him as You Would Receive Me. Okay. The Root of Bitterness. Or The Root of Bitterness, yeah. There so there's a, depending on what you want to focus. So that's another fun thing to do, especially with books that aren't as long as Isaiah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do with a book like Isaiah. Okay, well, I see that our time is up. So uh, may God bless you today. I hope you've enjoyed the study of Philemon this week. Yes. Treat yes. others in Christ as God treated you in Christ. Amen. 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 God bless. Amen.